As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. The C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Thank you for listening to the programme that brings you the thought and theology of C.S. Lewis. I'm Ruth Jackson, and before we dive into this week's show, I want to let you know about a very exciting competition. To celebrate 10 years since the release of Professor Alistair McGrath's seminal biography, C.S. Lewis A Life, we are giving away 15 copies, one for each chapter of the book, courtesy of the publisher Hodder Faith. To be in with a chance to win, visit premierunbelievable.com slash C.S. Lewis book and sign up to our newsletter. This link will be included in the show notes, but here it is one more time. premierunbelievable.com slash book. But now for today's show. This is the fourth episode in our series on the thought, life and legacy of C.S. Lewis. And our focus here is on the making of an Oxford Don. Well, Alistair, Oxford holds an important place for both you and I. It's actually where we met when you were one of my uh, (laughs) lecturers and tutors, which is very exciting. But it obviously had a huge, huge impact on Lewis. But what would Oxford University have been like in the aftermath of the Great War for Lewis? If you've visited Oxford, you'll think of it as a bustling city full of students rushing to lecture and things like that. In 1917, when Lewis went there, it was deserted. Um, basically, the, the colleges were not being used uh, for teaching. Um, I mean, some teaching was being done, but primarily they were military bases or administrative bases for, for the war. It was not Oxford as it had been, and it took a long time for Oxford to get back to normal. So we have to understand Lewis did not have a normal Oxford education to begin with at all. And what was he studying at Oxford? Well, Lewis wants to study classics, and at Oxford, um, the way classics is taught is described as greats. Greats. It, it's in effect um, a four-year course which um, has two main parts. Um, and uh, Lewis began to study classics, but only for one term. So, if you, uh, Oxford has um, three terms a year, so the normal length of the course is twelve terms. Lewis did the one out of 12 terms before he went off in military service. And then once he came back from the war, did he just pick up where he left off? Well, in in some ways he did, but Lewis came back a very different person. And the reason is that Lewis was wounded, um, badly wounded um, in, in battle, and so was invalided out of the British army. And that meant that actually Lewis knew he was going to live. That had been a major concern. But he also realised he would be able to go back to Oxford and begin to study all over again. So I think that is very, very important because in January 1919, Lewis is back at Oxford as a student. 
And I think that's a very important point in his life because he realizes there is hope. Maybe I'm going to be able to set myself back on the course that the First World War interrupted. And so many young British men at the time were feeling exactly that. I've survived. Now maybe I can begin to rebuild my life. Well, and as you say, Lewis survived his injury, but tragically, a lot of his friends didn't survive, did he? So I suppose he would have been carrying that bereavement into his studies at Oxford, wouldn't he? He did. I mean, and there's one very famous letter where he says there were five of us who went to Keeble, went to Keeble College and then to war. And I'm the only one who came back. And actually, uh, I mean, we now know one of the other four did, did make it back. But nevertheless, Lewis was traumatised. Four dead. I live. You know, why me? I mean, people talk about survivor guilt, and it's a very important point because Lewis, I think, really, like so many young British soldiers at the time, felt, I am here. Isn't that wonderful? Except it's not because all my friends are dead. And so if you like it, it's, it's a bereavement syndrome where he's trying to cope with loss of his friends, while at the same time trying to rebuild his own life. And one of those friends from his time at Keeble was Paddy Moore. And Paddy Moore's mother, Mrs. Moore, came to um, move to Oxford when, uh, when C.S. Lewis moved up to Oxford. Why, why did she do that? Well, we talked in the last episode about um, this compact that sort of um, Paddy Moore and Lewis seemed to arrive at, whereby if one of them was killed in the war, then whoever survived would look after the other person's parent. And um, basically, um, um, Lewis had promised to look after Mrs. Moore. But I have to say, Mrs. Moore seemed to look after Lewis because he, he had to go to hospital for quite a long time. Mrs. Moore moved to be near him, in effect, to be his, to be his nurse. You know, so that there's clearly um, a relationship between the two. And um, she saw him through his time as an invalid. And then when Lewis moved to Oxford, it was not the regular arrangement whereby you lived in college and did everything. Although Lewis did have a room in college, he would actually spend his afternoons at Mrs. Moore's house because she bought a house in Oxford in order to be near Lewis. And as far as we can see, um, Lewis was able to maintain the pretense of, in effect, um, being a single student living in Oxford College and then going off to work in libraries for the afternoon, except he wasn't going to work in libraries in the afternoon. He was going to see Mrs. Moore. So it's a complex relationship and one that actually would have been seen as irregular and improper by the university authorities at the time. Lewis kept it quiet. And do you think this kind of unorthodox relationship and arrangement would have impacted Lewis's academic studies, do you think? Because I guess you're saying there that people would have spent their afternoons in the library doing extra work, but obviously he wasn't. He was spending time with Mrs. Moore. So do you think that would have had an impact on his studies? Well, I think what Lewis did in effect was say, well, I've got the evenings and I've got the mornings and I'm going to really work very hard during those times. Um, so I think that you know, he, he seems to have found a way of getting around this. But he, he did keep Mrs. Moore secret from the college authorities and, of course, from his father. After his first year was over, it became easier because um, in Oxford, there was a long tradition of landladies, um, in effect, um, taking students in. And Lewis was able to, in effect, uh, present Mrs. Moore as his landlady. So that was all okay. But in the first year, it was a little bit problematic for him.
How very convenient. Um, <laughs> so why do you think he was keen to hide his relationship from his father and I suppose from everyone else for that matter? Well, uh, Albert Lewis, I think, realised something untoward was going on. Wasn't quite sure what, but um, felt that uh, his son was not being entirely honest with him. And again, we must bear in mind, Albert Lewis was supporting Lewis as a student at Oxford and was not entirely persuaded that Lewis was using his time wisely. And so, um, in fact, uh, Albert Lewis came to visit Lewis in Oxford to check up on him. And Lewis describes, in effect, a rather elaborate charade to pers persuade his father all was well, and above all, um, to keep him from finding out the truth about Mrs. Moore. So I think we have to say that Lewis' relationship with his father was not, not perhaps ideal at all around that time. But certainly Lewis, in effect, made it work and was able to really focus on his um, studies at Classics of Oxford. And Mrs Moore didn't just have Paddy Moore. There was also a daughter as well, wasn't there, Maureen? What was Lewis's relationship like with her? I mean, was it a kind of sisterly relationship? Well, Maureen was rather younger than Lewis. And I think Lewis found her quite difficult. He described her as sulky. Um, and um, uh, yet it's interesting that um, Lewis tries to help Maureen in various ways. Uh, Maureen went to Headington School, which is up in... Uh, that area of Oxford near the house they they owned, and um, I think it's very clear that um, Lewis, you know, did try and build bridges to Maureen and help her. And actually, although Maureen doesn't really feature very prominently in um, the story of Lewis once she left home, it's very interesting to note that Maureen paid a retrospective tribute to Lewis. Maureen uh, lived to be quite an elderly lady and at, she died long after Lewis had died, but um, at her funeral, she had read a passage from The Last Battle. So clearly, Lewis was important to her in some way. So I think we need to bear that in mind. Lewis's time as an Oxford undergraduate seems to have sort of added to the alienation between him and his father. I mean, was a lot of that because of this relationship with Mrs. Moore or was there more than that? I think there was more than that. I'll try and explain what I think the real issue is. Uh, and I know this is someone who, um, in effect, grew up and then left Northern Ireland, that there is this, if you like, stereotype of the son who grows up in Belfast and goes to college, university in England, and never goes back to Northern Ireland. And I think Albert Lewis was beginning to suspect his son was lost. In effect, he would never be going back to Ireland. And so I think that there, there's this anxiety on the part of Albert Lewis that, in effect, he has lost his son. Um, I, I mean, basically, Lewis would go back and spend quite some time with his father, um, when his father became ill. But basically, Lewis was in effect settling and putting down roots in Oxford. And Albert Lewis could see that and could just see what the future was going to look like, which is Albert Lewis staying in Belfast, C.S. Lewis staying in Oxford. End of any relationship between C.S. Lewis and his native Ireland. So that, I think, is a very important anxiety for him. And do you think that was realised? I mean, did we sort of ever see any reconciliation between Lewis and his father or did it sort of remain strained until his death? I think it, it remained strained. I think that um, Lewis went back 
to um, spend some time with his father when his father became ill. But I don't think that was a particularly difficult time. And Lewis actually chose to end that period of um, being with his father earlier than agreed. So I think there was some anxiety there. But basically, I I think we just have to say that um, for Albert Lewis's circle of friends, Lewis was the Irishman who went to England and didn't come back and didn't look after his father properly. So that issue is there. There were certain expectations, if I can put it like that, about how a son should behave towards his father in the Irish culture at the time, and Lewis was not fulfilling those. I mean, do you think that in some way contributed to the fact that Lewis is not necessarily seen as an Irishman? I think it is true because um, Lewis, in effect, may have grown up in Ireland, but um, he kind of way then didn't go back. And so I think that it may well be that that Lewis comes across as an ex-Irishman who chose to become an Englishman, at least culturally. And so that may well help us understand that. Certainly when I was growing up in Belfast, people did talk about C.S. Lewis. Um, I remember someone talking about Lion, Wits and Wardrobe, but then adding, of course, Lewis is an English writer, in effect distancing him, saying he's not one of us. And I think it's fair to say that even with all of these distractions, Mrs. Moore, you know, whatever was going on with his father, Lewis did still thrive academically as a student, didn't he? Oh, he he did. He did. I mean, Lewis, I think, uh, was clearly a very able person. And here's the key point. Uh, At Oxford, you know, you learn partly through lectures, but mainly through tutorials, where in effect you are engaged in a sort of... uh, repartee, a sort of dialogue, a debate with your tutor. And Lewis knew that from um, from his time with his fa- father's um, ex-headmaster, you know, that that in effect really gave him the skills to flourish in the Oxford environment. But also, I think we say Lewis was becoming a good, a good thinker, a good writer. And he won, I think we have to say this because it's quite an honour, the uh, Vice-Chancellor's Essay Prize in 1921 for an essay on optimism. We, that is a paper we'd all love to rediscover. It's lost. But whatever it was, he said, it won that university prize and in fact was read out in public, in part, at the Sheldonian Theatre um, in Oxford in 1921. So Lewis clearly was being recognised as an up-and-coming scholar. So he really was beginning to make a name for himself. And so he undertook a first degree in classics and then he went on to take a second degree in English language and literature, didn't he? He did. And I think we need to pause there and ask why. Because, you know, a four-year course in classics and then you do English, English language literature. Why? Well, um, one answer might be, I suppose, that Lewis loved English language literature so much he thought it would be nice to do this. I think the reality is rather different. Let me try and explain. Um, Basically, um, Oxford was, in effect, undergoing change after the First World War. And as a result of that, um, the, the kind of jobs that were normally available at Oxford weren't so anymore. And Lewis was now beginning to think, what are my employment prospects for the future? And beginning to realise that being an expert in classics might not actually qualify him for all that much. And noting um, that um, there was an expansion in the perceived importance of English at Oxford, I think Lewis made the decision that if he were to do a degree in English, that would really make him much more employable. 
So Lewis did something quite remarkable. Um, in effect, he packed into one single year a course that would normally take three years and got first class honours at the end of it. So we need to, I just need to emphasize how astonishing that is. Um, Lewis is a rare example of someone who got what Oxford calls a triple first, meaning he gained first class honours at every point in his examinations and uh, an astonishing achievement. Um, so clearly, again, Lewis is being marked out for academic distinction. The question is, would that lead to a job? And the answer turned out to be not immediately. And Lewis began to realize his future was actually quite uncertain. Well, we've seen that Lewis was clearly developing as a scholar at this time, but he was also developing some important relationships through his studies in English, wasn't he? Well, he was. I think that um, he was beginning to make some friendships. I think that that's important, that uh, there are various people he begins to build friends with, some of them actually from his native Ireland. And those friendships would survive competitiveness because these were also very able students and they would also be looking for jobs, jobs in Oxford. And that meant they would be in competition. And one of the problems at Oxford at that time was if you were applying for an Oxford job, for example, a fellowship in English, you would need to find someone who would act as a referee. And the problem was that very often if someone agreed to be a referee for one person, they would not be a referee for anybody else. And so Lewis had a very close friendship with Neville Coghill. Um, Neville came from uh, Ireland like him. And... Um, Neville Cockle got a job Lewis would have liked. But the good news was that, in effect, this meant that the person who had been a reference for Neville could now be a reference for Lewis when a job came up at Maudlin College, which Lewis thought might well be rather good for him. Well, we're going to talk about his experience as Maudlin College in, a, in the next episode. But before we get to that, just as we're coming to an end, we heard a little bit about Lewis writing war poetry and sort of wanting to be remembered as a poet. Why did he want to be remembered as a poet? And when did he sort of come to terms with the idea that that perhaps wasn't going to be the case? Well, that, that's a very good question. I think that um, if I can put it like this, um, when I read Lewis's poetry, I very often think, oh, that, that, that's a very good line, but it isn't sustained throughout the whole poem. Um, and I think Lewis may have begun to realize that actually, as the First World War receded into the background, um, and as a new era in kind of literary culture began to open up, the war poets were already established and he wasn't going to be one of them. But I think more importantly, I think Lewis began to realize he had to think about bread and butter issues and writing poetry wasn't going to deliver those. And therefore he really had to find a job which would involve teaching in English language and literature. And that meant really immersing himself, not just in poetry, but in uh, prose as well. So I think Lewis, Lewis's realization he had to find a job meant he was focusing a lot on developing the skills he needed to do that. And that meant that although Lewis was working on some poems during this period of his life, it didn't really progress very satisfactorily. And I think Lewis probably realized that this might be a, a hobby rather than a vocation. 
We're going to be talking specifically about his experience at Magdalen um, in the later episode. But just as we come to an end of this one, um, would you just say a little bit about his journey to become a fellow? Because it wasn't completely straightforward, was it? No, it's not. Um, what would happen is that um, Oxford colleges, um, from time to time, appoint what are called tutorial fellows. A tutorial fellow is basically someone who is a fellow of the college whose job it is to teach by tutorial the members of that college. Lewis had been taught by people like that at University College um, and uh, with his switch to English uh, there were a number of colleges that were beginning to feel that English was going to be increasingly important in the future and so were appointing tutorial fellows in English. And that was clearly um, something Lewis could apply for. The difficulty was there were others um, who could apply for that. And Lewis, in effect, applied for several positions, and those were rather um, unsatisfactory. Uh, Lewis might have done well in, in the interviews, but someone else always did better. What happened at Morden College was actually really rather exciting, and that is that uh, Malden was a very old, very prestigious college, a very rich college, which did need someone to teach its growing number of students language, English literature and language. But also, Lewis's friends who had now got jobs were no longer in the marketplace. So if you like, Lewis now stood a much better chance of getting this role at Malden when that was advertised. So in effect, um, we can begin to see here the opening of a gateway for Lewis to become a permanent presence at Oxford. The question is, would Malden want Lewis? And the answer to that question, as they discovered after interviewing him and then having dinner with him, is yes, they would. And so Lewis began this fascinating new period in his life, which we remember him as a tutorial fellow at Malden College, Oxford, in English language and literature. Well, we're going to hear more about that in the next episode. But Alistair, thank you so much. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast with me, Ruth Jackson and Professor Alistair McGrath. And don't forget, we're giving you the opportunity to get a free copy of Alistair's seminal biography, C.S. Lewis, A Life. To be in with a chance to win, visit premierunbelievable.com slash cslewisbook and sign up to our newsletter. That's premierunbelievable.com slash cslewisbook. Thank you for listening and see you next time where we'll be hearing more from Alistair on the thought, life and legacy of C.S. Lewis. <laughs>